0: Let's start with Genesis chapter two, verses two and three, and and let me just read these and make some comments about this rest. This is the first time we, we come up against the, or come up uh, to the to the word rest in the uh, in the old covenant in the testimony, and and uh, it deserves uh, some comments. I think it says this: On the seventh day, God ended His work which He had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Kind of redundant, but uh, I think it's trying to get a point across. Uh, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Sanctified is just uh, is just a word that means set it apart, you know, separated it. Because in it he rested from all the work which God had uh, created and made all his work which god had created and made it kind of says the same thing three times in those two verses and um, oh no i skip. i skipped something god ble- maybe i said it i don't remember but god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it so there's these there's these aspects in here there's this blessing there's this separation or sanctification there's this rest from the work and and this is a picture that is going. To, we're gonna we're gonna be kind of like we did last week. We were looking at specific words that come up over and over again uh, throughout the the Old Testament. Um, this is going to be a word too that we see throughout the Old Testament, and, and it's also one that that comes to um, be a, a topic of some of the letters in the New Testament too. This this issue of rest, God's eternal purpose, His eternal plan and purpose. One from one angle has to do with entering into God's rest. And 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 let me just say this. God has one eternal purpose. It, it does, it's not complicated, but it is immense. It is incredibly uh, unmeasurable, unsearchable. I mean, it's not like complicated like a jigsaw puzzle or like putting together a computer, you know, a motherboard from a manual or something. It's not like that. It's just... Big and so to to describe it's, it's it's enormous. It fills the heart of God. I mean, it fills. He filled up time for thousands of years testifying of it. So the reality of it is 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 incredibly large and 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 wonderful. And so he speaks about this one eternal purpose all throughout the Old Testament, but he does it from a bunch of different angles. I kind of picture it as you know looking at the same reality using different created uh symbols and and figures and relationships and 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 natural things that all testify of it one of those things is rest there's there's lots of them they all have to in a few words if I were to summarize it in a few words it all has to do with god bringing us into himself and so there's always some picture of union involved okay whether it's the bride uh becoming one with the bridegroom or whether it's the seed that produces an increase but they're all joined to the one seed and all the increase of the one seed or or it's god bringing us into his rest or you know this picture of bringing us where he is or or planting us in the mountain of his inheritance or whatever um Whatever language you know, you're looking at throughout the Old Testament, it it, it all has to do with God bringing us into Himself, or, or giving us Himself, or pouring out Himself into us for the purpose of increase and glory. The increase, uh, not more gods, but the increase of God's glory, nature, purpose, will, mind, nature, character in. And through a creation, or in and through a, a people, That's really. I mean, I think that those simple sentences that I just said can kind of sum up any view, in, in, very smallly and in, insignificant. I mean, in in but uh, in, in, know I'm not, not trying to say incompletely is what I'm trying to say. But 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 still uh, still kind of sum up most if not all of the various different as- or different angles that God approaches this 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 reality of his, his eternal purpose whether he's whether he's talking about the harvest the great harvest of the increase of the seed or the kingdom of God or, or or the bride of the lamb or the wife of the lamb or you know whatever picture it has to do with God bringing into himself or putting himself in a people or a city or a land, whatever language. Again, there's so many different words that speak of the same reality, but for the purpose of increase in glory. And it's no different here uh, with with both of the things that we might talk about today. If it depends how far we get with the creation of man and woman, but that's what that's what that's what the creation of the woman was. It was the increase of the man. It was it was the the life of of the one becoming uh, the the eternal joined partner and increase of of the man that God had created, and um, and but it, before before you even get to any of that, you have this picture here uh, of rest, and in here we see that in this story, because there's 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 several pictures of rest in the old covenant, and uh, and each of them kind of adds a little. Little something to the uh, to the picture that God's painting of, of of Christ. Christ obviously is God's rest, but it's not enough to know that He is God's rest. You have to know Him as the rest of God. I know I said that before in some other teaching, but let me just say it again. I, um, it's not okay to just know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these pictures. You could just, without even opening your Bible, you could just say it. You could just say, okay, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That doesn't make you know anything. That just makes you know a fact. The purpose of this class and the purpose of knowing Christ in the Old Testament isn't to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of rest, but it's to know the rest that is Christ. Or to know, to have your soul experience Christ as the rest that is being testified to here in Genesis chapter 2 or in Exodus and the seventh day rest or in Joshua and the rest that is the land or, or whatever. So that's what we're trying to, at least that's what our hearts should be longing for, is to know the rest that is Christ, not just to know Christ is the rest. And so, so the picture that we have here is that God finishes this work. He finishes his work with a six day creation, a six day involvement, so to speak, in a natural creation, a physical creation. It involved work or labor, so to speak. I mean, there's a picture of that there. It involved six days. It involved natural man, natural creation. And then God sanctifies it. That is to say, He sets it apart, sets apart the seventh day. He makes a division, a division between the six days and the seventh day sets it apart, speaks a blessing over it, and in that seventh day, he rests from his involvement with that natural creation. He rests from his work, his labor, his involvement it 's a separate it's a separate thing from that first world, I guess you could say I think it's the picture that 's going on there i 'm not saying he like made it in six A's and took off and has lived on Mars ever since then or something i 'm just saying that he 's deliberately creating a picture of direct involvement in the creation of this natural thing, and then he paints this picture of something separate a rest. And and I think from here on out, rest is it maintains that 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 picture is always a part of of what the rest of God talks about. It's something separate. It's something set apart. It's something that God is something where God is, and something He invites a people into. And so, in in a, in, in a few words, I guess I see the rest of God speaking of. Of coming into god's day, which is well I guess positively because there's it's it's freedom from something and it's also kind of entrance into something positively or it, it, talking about what we're entering into here um it's an entering into God's day, the day of the Lord, the day that has a totally different lights it's it's a day that is free from the work of the th- previous 6 days and the, and the, and the kind or the nature of creation that is that is there the natural and, and and yet it's also i mean the the larger emphasis it seems like to me in the old covenant or in the old testament is that it has to do with freedom um, freedom from something it's rest from something you're you're actually getting away from something you know, when you rest, it's at the end of a long day, or when you rest, it's because you're tired of work or whatever. Rest kind of speaks of that reality, and I think that's that's the picture that he's trying to point here, that or paint here. That that um, I guess, in a nutshell, it's it's being free from you, being free from yourself, and 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 that's I mean, because everyone in that six-day creation has become a slave to self, and or, or you could say a slave to sin. We've become slaves and workers and laborers for something that not only doesn't get anywhere, but that ultimately kills us. When we're servants of sin or slaves to sin, as the New Testament talks about, we're not only like obeying in an inward way a nature that is that goes nowhere. I mean, you don't actually get anything there's no reward. There's no great reward for being a slave to sin. The wages of sin is death, you know. it's not a very good payday at the end of the at the end of the work the work day. And and, and you think people think that they want to be they, they think they want to get what they want. And we spend almost all of our lives trying to get what we want. But what we really want, deep down in our soul, we want to be free from wanting those things. You know, you you serve you serve sin, you don't even get what you want. And and, and, and at the end of the day, your, your payment for serving sin is, is death. And everyone is born into that condition of slavery to sin. And nobody is ever able to rest from that. Even if you come to believe in true things about Jesus, rest is not in the belief itself. It's in the experience of Jesus. And so everybody is in this condition of, of slavery to sin. We're serving a nature that is governing uh, our soul. And, and this is the very thing that Jesus talked to the, um, the Jews about in John chapter 8. He says, you know, I, I will make you. And in this case, he, used, he didn't use the word rest. He used the word freedom. But it was still the same kind of idea. They denied being slaves. They denied laboring to serve a master who is sin the nature of sin and jesus tried to explain to them the nature of their slavery they didn't you know they argued with him and said we've never been slaves to anybody who are you to say that you can make us free and all of that but they were they were slaves to self slaves to sin and our and our soul longs you know, again, we, we we think we want to be free. We 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 can waste our entire lives trying to become free because everyone kind of searches for rest. We all want, you know, in little things like we just love the weekends, you know, or, or the days off work, or the e- extra long three day weekends, or or just a, a nice long nap in the afternoon on a Sunday. I mean, just anything that like that in in the natural realm. We kind of there's there's a kind of a pattern or a picture of that picture of that in the flesh too, but. We, we, what we think, we kind of naturally assume that true rest and true freedom has to do with being free from circumstances and situations. But what the soul is actually longing for is to be free from the man and from the creation that are defined by those circumstances and situations. And so God offers us this rest. And right away, in the very beginning, it has to do with freedom. It has to do with liberation from labor God rested from his labor, and then the whole rest of the Bible is about him inviting us into that rest, inviting us into that exodus from that creation and from that toil and that slavery uh, that doesn't pay. You have to be kind of careful with, with words like this because just like we've seen with so many other words, rest is defined by the... By the testimony that God's given us in Scripture, not by the natural mind that just thinks of whatever version of a big, you know, spiritual siesta um, that might come to mind. God's rest is a well. There's three. There's three primary pictures of it that I know that I can think of right now in the Old Testament. There is the picture in the garden there, that we just read. There's the picture of the Sabbath in Israel. On the seventh day. And then there's the picture of um, Joshua bringing them into the land of Canaan, which is also called bringing them into rest. And uh, in in each case, I I think there's different aspects of liberation from man's work, man's enemies, man's fighting, uh, 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 freedom from... um, Disobedience or contradiction to to God, um, but in the first picture in the garden, we see it as this kind of separate, blessed thing where God rests and He invites us into that. Or, or I don't know, at least at least it leaves you with this picture of you wanting to go where He is into that rest. You wanting to somehow find your way into that seventh day, That's separate and and blessed. The second picture is with the Sabbath, and there you get a lot more pictures of the exclusion of man's labor. In fact, it was forbidden, absolutely forbidden, for man to try to do anything for the benefit of God's of, of Israel on that seventh day. And to, to to break that law, God was really really um, particular about. I mean, he was particular about every every law, but. That was a very very specific law, very important thing, that right off the bat, someone tried to gather firewood on that day and was stoned for it. Um, man's effort, man's work, man's labor, man's contributions, man living by the sweat of his brow, all of that has no place in God's rest. And, and and god the other pictures that are involved in that sabbath rest and exodus is that god's provision is ample it is it is full you gather on the 6th day the manna that he provides on the 7th day it somehow like multiplies in your pot i mean you don't gather on the, you don't gather the manna on the 7th day and it, and if you do it rots i mean it's there's no way that man can contribute to that day there 's nothing you can 't even gather your own food you can 't even gather your own firewood you everything that is anything comes directly as provision from the lord and that 's just a huge thing that it 's a huge thing, not just because it's, it was really important in the law it 's something that we still don 't understand as Christians. We still constantly try to contribute to god 's finished work we are constantly trying to add various versions of our own gathering sticks and manna on the seventh day. We are continually trying to, to, to take the best of uh, uh, our efforts or our abilities or our natural gifts or whatever and try to make it find place or have importance or have spiritual relevance in that seventh day. But that seventh day is a day that all things are given to you in and, uh, and, and as the person of Jesus Christ. You can't add to it. And any attempts to, to to add to it is just death it's just trying to add death to what is perfectly alive and so those pictures are are, are really important there when, when we'll see more of that when we get into Exodus and the Sabbath when God institutes the Sabbath with Israel but uh, the third thing is um, their entrance into the land of canaan and and that to me is a, it's, a, it's a different picture of rest but it's it's all part of the same thing it's a freedom from it, it's coming into one's true home. It's no more wandering around in tents. It's no more uh, wasting life in the in the vanity of their disobedience and and um, and unbelief. It's an end of that that forty years of. Uh, refusing purpose and and trying to create a God that live that that exists for my provision, and and it, and it, it, the pictures there involve coming in out of that that kind of relationship or that reality into a place where first of all it's permanent it's established. Once they get into the land, no more, there's no more wandering. They actually get to uh, they get to uh, stay in, in in one place where well, they, they they should have at least. I mean they got kicked out of the land uh, a time or two, but. That's that's only because they weren't walking in the covenant. They weren't really abiding in the land even though they were there. And but the purpose of that land was supposed to be like a permanent dwelling place. And not only that, one that again, the provision was already there. They move into cities that they don't build, wells that they don't have to dig, the grapes are, are, are gigantic, or the fruit the provision that's already been planted, they reap things that God has already prepared for them in that land. And not only that there's a rest from their enemies in the land. I mean, they have to walk by faith and, and uh, you know, possess the land and watch the power of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord cast out those enemies before them. But he even does the fighting. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, and and the greatest picture of that is right there in Jericho where all they do is march around and scream for seven days and the whole city is given over into their hand. The the picture that I'm trying to refer to here is that there's the rest involves a freedom from enemies in the land. That is to say, freedom from everything in this land, in this union, in this place of dwelling with God and man, where the the removal of everything that is contrary to that government, everything that is fleshy, everything that is uncircumcised. It's It's a rest that happens in you, and it's the removal in you of everything that isn't of him. Anything that isn't perfectly aligned with and congruent, everything that isn't Christ all and in all. And so the rest has to do, too, with, with freedom. Freedom from all, all of the residue of the Adamic man that works in our heart through, through uh, darkness. And anyway, these, all of these pictures... Are pictures of the same rest, the same freedom, the same entering into something that 's separate, set apart, blessed uh, totally free from enemies, totally free from man 's labors, totally free from you is really what it all i mean when you add them, when you add it all up and you, and you put it all together. It, 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 you're the thing you're escaping in, in, every, in every context. You're that six-day creation of natural things with a natural man. You're the labor, that the sweat of the brow and the, and the man's efforts that, that doesn't enter into that, that, that uh, seventh day. You're the enemies in the land. You know, it's, it's the things in your soul that are contrary to the new king of the land, the new owner of that territory that he has purchased with the blood of the Lamb and experiencing the increase of Christ in you and the vanquishing of all uncir- uncircumcision is going to be your experience of that rest and so freedom i don't know how to i mean there may be a better way to say it but it, to me it just kind of all sums up in just this one little phrase it's the it's the freedom from you and and if 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 we haven't seen yet that that's what we need freedom from then then i think we haven't yet understood what the cross came to, to, to give us because um, because the seventh day is set apart because the land was divided from the wilderness by a river because the you know whatever language you want to use it's it doesn't mix with whatever came before it it's separate it's separate it's blessed it's free from everything that we try to add to it in fact, the very first thing that Joshua does with all of the men as soon as they enter into that land is cut off all the foreskin of their flesh. I mean, he just the picture couldn't be clearer right there. You don't bring your flesh into this land. And then he meets that... Um, he meets the Lord. He meets the the the, uh, the, the, ho- the captain of the host of the Lord, who you know I think is a picture of Christ there. And he tries to ask Christ whose side he's on, and Christ makes it clear that the whole land belongs to him. You're standing on holy ground. You take off your shoes. You've just come into me. You know, don't don't ask me if I'm on your side. You've just come into me you've just come into my seventh day my rest you know and joseph or uh, joshua realizes what's going on there and bows down and worships him because <clears throat> god just didn't come down to help out joshua joshua just brought a camp into christ just brought a, a people into the rest of the lord so um anyway it, it's just uh, to kind of wrap up that little section that the if you're looking for a, a really cool um kind of a proof text or something that 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 really describes what what i just tried to communicate and much better than i just said it you can go right to hebrews chapter four and the author of hebrews um talks about these pictures of rest the rest on the seventh day and the rest uh, of, of joshua and and, and then Talks about how David, many years after Joshua brought them into um, a natural picture of rest in in bringing them into the land, said, "There's still a rest. There's a greater rest. There's still a day of rest." And let me just read this little section here because it's better if I just read it. It's Hebrews chapter four, verse two. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. The them here is the is the uh, the generation of Israel that came out of Egypt the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it now I could we could talk a long time about that we're kind of dealing with that right now in the Hebrews class but there wasn't a single one of them that didn't believe in God but it wasn't mixed with faith faith isn't belief and I mean every one of them saw his miracles every day I mean just about every single day there was a cloud and a pillar above the tabernacle and people you know getting swallowed up in the ground and water coming out of rocks and all kinds of stuff they all believed in God, but what they had seen of him what they had seen with their natural eyes and believed with their natural mind was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. okay, I'm not going to get off on that so then verse three for he who uh, for we who have believed. Do, that is the word, same word, faith, is, is really, it's unfortunate that it, it's, it, we don't have a verb uh, for, for the word faith like they do in Greek but, and, and in Hebrew, but it's here, for we who have faith, is really how it would read if it was extremely literal, do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's what we just read in Genesis 2. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it. The, The second one, they... Well, okay, let me just keep going. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience again he designates a certain day saying in david today after such a long time as it has been said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts okay this is a little confusing he's 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 assuming a pretty significant knowledge of the old testament to, with his with his readers here but He's saying, look, these things, he shall not enter my rest, and God rested on the 7th day, and all this was written way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, and then later in Joshua chapter whatever, and then but then David, some 500 years later, says, speaking by the spirit, today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So David was speaking of Another day, obviously, not the day that Joshua brought them in, not the day that happened way back, the natural seventh day of creation or the Sabbath, but obviously David, by the Spirit, was speaking of another today. Okay, that's kind of what he's saying here. So then in in verse 8, he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. That's kind of what I just tried to say. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. That can be a little bit confusing. Now that I go back and read it out loud, I can see how it might be a little confusing. But um, but the, the point is that I think you can plainly see when he says things like, if Joshua had really given them rest, he wouldn't have spoken of that David would not have spoken of another day. If the true rest had already happened, if it was an event in Israel's history, if it was a seventh day that had come and gone, if it was you know what I mean, if it was something natural, well then why in the world did the Spirit of God speak through David and say, There's a day, there's a today, you can still enter into God's rest. There's a there's a day that's coming. And so he he admonishes his readers that there still remains a rest for the people of God. And what's the nature of it? Well, he says in verse 10, he who enters into God's rest has himself ceased from his own works, even as God did from his. So he's kind of gathering up all three of these pictures here, the author of Hebrews. And he is, um, I mean, these three Old Testament pictures, and he's showing each of them to be natural Descriptions of what the Spirit of God later said was going to be a spiritual reality, and then he comes on and he says, "Today, you know." And there's not—it's—it's a little later, I think, when he says, "As long as it is still called today, you know, as long as there is still a today, be diligent to enter into His rest." You know, and then that just kind of brings you into all these other New Testament scriptures about you know the day being sons of the day and and the day dawning in your heart and and all of these other day realities that obviously aren't talking about a 24 hour period of time. So anyway, I thought we'll mention those things again when we get to the um to the stories in Exodus and Joshua, but I thought I would just kind of give a little overview of, of that of that rest since we hit those two verses. Now, the rest of um this chapter deals with the creation of man and, and, and then the creation of woman out of man. And in, in this whole story, you'll see that uh, um, in a lot of ways, just like Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 14, and then later in Ephesians chapter 5, and there's another place too. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that this relationship between uh, Adam and Eve is, speaks of Christ and the church. So it's not like we're just guessing here or we don't have a lot of New Testament support to say this. When we say that this man represents the one who is to come, we're just quoting Romans 5. And when we say that his relationship with the, the bride is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church, we're just quoting Ephesians 5. So we're not g- kind of going way out in left field to try to find some spiritual parallels here. These, this is what Paul was, was saying, uh, about these stories. And, and so, uh, the first man represents the, the coming man in a lot of ways that we've already talked about. He, he, he is, um, uh, He's a picture of Christ in the, in the sense, well, in, in his relationship with his wife and his relationship to the earth and the, and the fact that he you know, had the dominion and the kingdom given to him in the beginning. And I'm not going to go through all of that, but here, here the story continues. And God breathes. He forms him from the dust of the earth, and he breathes into his soul or breathes into him a soul, or breathes into him the breath of life. What it says, literally, is he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Some translations say a living being, or a living I think being, but then in the margin of your Bible, it'll, it'll say soul. And when Paul quotes it uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he uses the word soul, too. He says, The first man became a living soul, the second man a life-giving spirit. Now that's a really important verse and because that's what the two men were naturally speaking Adam was just a living soul he came to, he was a picture a painted you know type and shadow of what was to come but he was not a life-giving spirit nor did he even have the spirit of God dwelling in him and let me just say something about that too because that's important. A lot of people, including some people that I really I like their books and I like to read, I mean I I like to read their their stuff sometimes, talk about how um you know Adam here by God breathing into Adam it means that God was living in Adam or that God had a, a true union with Adam. And that's just not that's just not true. And 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 it's not it's not important to me as a matter of theology. I don't I don't uh I try not to get into those kind of debates or whatever. I don't really care, but it, it's important to me because the first is natural, the second is spiritual. That's the order. It's always that order. Paul says that again in First Corinthians fifteen. First is the natural, then is the spiritual. The natural was first. You know, the, later comes the spiritual. The picture is first, then the, then the, then the fulfillment. The, sh- the shadow is first, then the, the 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 reality. The night is first, then the day. That's the order. It's the order that starts from the very beginning. First there was night, then there was morning, the first day. I mean, it's just the, the shadow. And when it comes to creation, first is the natural. Then, I mean, first is the first heavens and earth, the natural. Then there's a new heavens and earth in Christ where righteousness dwells. No matter where you go in the Bible, that's the pattern. Christians um, have, a, have a hard time with that one because... Because we're always talking about getting back to the Garden of Eden as though God's eternal purpose was to bring us back to something that that we screwed up. And that is just really, really not not right. And, And the reason it's so important is because Adam and Eve never had what God has given us in Christ. They had a picture of it. They had an awesome picture of it. They had a picture of union, but not true union. They, they, they walked with God phys- in a physical relationship, external, in a natural place with lots of flowers. That's not heaven, that's not spiritual life. That's a picture of it. They had an ex they spoke with God with words, He wasn't revealing the indwelling implanted word of God. What he has bring in, brought us to in Christ is the fulfillment of the Garden Picture, not brought us back to the Garden Picture itself. So, in a sense, you could say he brought us he brought us back to paradise or brought us back to Eden, but not the original type and shadow version that existed several whatever years ago. But He brought us to the fulfillment of what that picture was talking about. So we don't. The the goal of the new covenant isn't to walk with God in physical space and time and speak words with Him and put our arm around Him and you know and and uh, look at the pretty flowers in the cool of the evening. That was a again I keep saying the same thing, but that's 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 just an external picture of spiritual reality. And we're not trying to get back to the garden. We're trying to get to, and if you're in Christ, you've already come to, whether you've to whatever degree or measure you've seen it or not, you've already come to the fulfillment of what the garden pointed to. We're getting back to the breath of life thing. I think, well, first of all, I can say that it, that that same term, breath of life, is used three times, three other times in the first few chapters of Genesis. Referring to the animals that live on the land, especially around when he's talking about destroying the earth and all the creatures in whom had the breath of life, and then Noah, you know, it, with the with the flood, it talks about destroying the ones in whom had the breath of life. It's the same thing that 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 God, you know, breathed into to. to um, to Adam. If we're going to say that God, the breath of life, is the is the spirit of God creating an indwelling spiritual union with Adam, and then he has to have the same relationship with kangaroos, you know, um, which just isn't so. And and more importantly than that is is not just the fact. I'm not trying to like just say that. I mean, in my heart, what's what's important here is not just to prove that. Adam didn't have spiritual union, it's to point our hearts facing in a totally different direction, not trying to get back to an external relationship with God that we see a picture of in the garden, but trying to experience and walk in the reality of the fulfillment of that, rea- of that relationship. Where now God's implanted word brings us to a new creation where he dwells in our soul, not just the living soul, but the life-giving spirit is inside of that living soul causing us to walk in and experience his spiritual life. And, and so we have to understand and it just comes to my mind here in John chapter 20, verse 22 I think, uh, Jesus kind of has, a—I think, a picture of Pente- what he was about to do at Pentecost uh, and, and as a picture also or fulfillment of this verse here in, Je- in uh, Genesis chapter 2. It, it, I think if you look up John twenty twenty two, 22, it says and Jesus breathed on his disciples and said receive the Holy Spirit. Now that was a breathing of the Spirit of God you know, or at least a picture of what happened on Pentecost. I don't really know if they received it and then every and then and then everyone else received it on pentecost or or if that was just Jesus talking about what was about to happen a few days later at pentecost or well, I'm not sure but still the point is the breathing after the resurrection of Christ on believers was the the giving of the spirit of god as opposed to the creation of a living soul okay so there's a difference there <clears throat> But I guess I just wanted to say and I'm looking, I'm running out of time here, so we're not going to get super far, but I just I really wanted to hit hard this, this, this fact that um, the first is the natural, the second is the spiritual. We're not trying to have Moses' relationship with God, or Adam's relationship with God. Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and God showed him his back parts. That's all he could see in that covenant. We come to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We come to the substance. We have something better. Again, whether or not we've seen what we have, that's another issue. But we're not trying to get back to... Moses' or Enoch's or or Abraham's or Adam's relationship with God. And so many people talk about that. And I used to dream, I used to have this plaque on my wall that I made where it said, and Moses used to talk with God like a friend or something like that. And I just longed to have that kind of external me and God hanging out in the same tent kind of relationship when I actually had me and God hanging out in my soul and I didn't even see him and it's a, it's a shame to uh to focus on such an external uh shadow especially when you have already come to the internal substance so um i'll wrap up with just let me make this comment and this this may this may generate some questions especially from some newer people but uh it's something that i think i can say kind of quickly and and it's and it's important and that is that because the pattern is natural first, then spiritual, night first, and then day, we need to understand that the cross did a whole lot more than deal with the problems created by sin. Even if sin never entered the picture, in some way or another, the eternal plan of God was going to... Ha- I mean, it's it's impossible to talk about hypothetical what-ifs about sin or whatever. God saw the end from the beginning. I, but, but let's just say that sin didn't even enter the picture. God still was going to bring a change from night to day, from shadow to substance, from natural to spiritual. The cross was still going to put away the first and establish the second. Now, uh, part of the first was all of the sins that were committed by the man who fell, but part of the first was just natural shadows that fell short of the substance. Part of the part of the I mean, we sin is part of the first, but the first isn't sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hopefully, you do. The first is everything that pointed to, but fell short of the second. And so regardless of the extent to which man sinned or the corrupted of the world or all of that, the eternal purpose of God involved a change from natural pictures to spiritual substance. And the cross was the means to that end of, of, of as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, putting away the first and establishing the second. And so... Jesus came not just to fix and restore what God, what Adam had in the garden, but to fulfill it. And that is so interesting. What, what does it mean to fulfill it? He didn't come to he didn't come to destroy it, and he didn't come to go back to it. He came to fulfill it. And fulfilling it means to ch- make a change from the natural to the, from the natural picture to the spiritual substance. From the words and the pictures that describe something to the actual presence of that something in spiritual eternal reality, you know, from type and shadow to spirit and truth—that's what Jesus was dealing with the woman at the well about, and and basically all throughout the whole book of uh, Gospel of John. And so the cross—that's why that's why we have a lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. Because, I mean, I can't even imagine a world without sin. Because I almost have to imagine a world without Adam, but. The cross is way bigger than dealing with the problems created by sin. The cross put away the first and established the second. And sin had come to be a pretty ugly stain in the first, but it wasn't the definition of it. I hope that makes sense, and maybe that's a little confusing. So if that that leaves you guys confused, um, we can talk about that during the discussion time. So let me stop the recording here.